Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Hebrews 6. Today we will talk about one of what I think many people believe to be the most frightening chapters in the Bible. And I say that because as a pastor, this is a chapter that has caused more people than maybe any other chapter to come to me frightened about their own souls. And I want to talk about this because I think some of the fright is based on misunderstanding. And I think when you look at this chapter as a whole, you clearly see the intent of this chapter is not to frighten, it is to encourage. And so when we are done with Hebrews 6 today, I hope that you are encouraged. Or if you are one of the the, the people that this chapter is meant to warn, I hope you are warned effectively so that you will end up being encouraged. Now, why do I call this a frightening chapter. Well, it's because of what it says in verse 4, really verses 4 through 6. Because basically, it's a long sentence and there's a lot of other clauses in there. But if you boil it down to the main idea, it's basically talking about somebody for whom it is impossible, verse 4, to restore them again to repentance in verse 6. And they have fallen away. And that's what I have people come and ask me. Have I fallen away? Is it impossible for me to get saved? Is it impossible for me now to go to heaven based on what this is saying? And that's where usually how they're describing themselves, I don't think this is a passage talking about them. But To understand that, we need to dig a little deeper into this passage. We need to understand what's going on. So let's start with verse 1. Actually, let's remind ourselves what precedes verse 1 and the end of chapter 5. He starts to warn them, saying they're still eating milk when they should be eating meat. And we talked about how yesterday they're still just kind of going back and forth on the basics. And you see in verse 1... Now of chapter 6, it says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So that's an interesting way to start because you might even be questioning, well, well, wait, what does it mean? Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. I thought I've heard in church, we're never moving on from the gospel. We're never moving on from the cross. And that's where I, I think we need to ask, well, in what sense? Think of a building, right? Right. The gospel is foundational. We saw back in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, just like the Bible said, and rose again, just like the Bible said, that is foundational. 
Um, and so we're not leaving that in the sense that it's like, all right, we've laid the foundation. We're, we're moving on to somewhere else now. No, but what do you do with the foundation? You build on it. Otherwise, it looks kind of silly. I think of the, the school I grew up at. They wanted to build a gym. We had no gym. For a long time, all of our uh, basketball games were away games because we did not have a gym at our school. So we started fundraising, and step one was the foundation. And the foundation was there for years, just sitting there, this massive concrete slab out in the back of our school. And to some extent, it looked kind of silly, but eventually we built upon it and it became a a gym. And it would have been foolish though, if we would have said, all right, there's the foundation. Let's go build the gym somewhere else. Right. And that's what, when I think you hear pastors say, let's never move on from the gospel. Let's never move on from the cross. That is what I hope they're saying. We should never leave the gospel to go, Hey, well, let's build somewhere else. But it would be foolish for us to say, well, I've got the gospel. What else do I need? No, the gospel is meant then to prompt us towards maturity. So we're supposed to be building on what we learn in the gospel, these foundational things. But the warning here is for those that aren't moving on to meat, that they're just on milk, and it seems that they're they're waffling. They're going back and forth on Christ and what what the gospel is and what the response to the gospel should be. We're just waffling around, never making up our mind. You think of the phrase we've already seen, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. The warning is there's a danger in that. And there's a danger for these people that he's writing to. Don't just say, oh yeah, I'm believing in Christ. Oh, actually, maybe maybe I need to go still offer sacrifices. Maybe there's other things I need to do. Oh, no, no, maybe I should just believe in Christ. Well, I don't know. This waffling is dangerous, he says. Why is it dangerous? Because it's impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to content or to contempt. Now, I think some of the language there is helpful. It uses the word a couple times taste it. So I do not think this is talking about people that are truly born again Christians losing their salvation. We've talked about that earlier in Hebrews. It might look that way to us, but from God's perspective, I don't think that's what happens. And what we'll see in 1 John, those who go out from us, they weren't really of us. But from our perspective, they could look like a a real Christian because they're starting to participate in certain aspects of the life of Christianity, but it seems that they've just tasted. They have not really bought in. They are not truly born again, and now they fall away. And he's saying it's impossible for those in such a state to be restored again to repentance. So here's where the questions come to me. And there's just a couple things I want to point out here. One, what is it impossible to restore them to? It's impossible to restore them to repentance. I feel like when people ask me, when, when they're concerned, is this talking about me? What they're actually asking is, is it impossible for me to be forgiven? And I would try to point out that's not what the text says. The text says it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Repentance. 
That is um, what the danger is here. So if you are convicted about some sin and you are repentant about some sin, and if you're worried, well, is it too late for me to repent of this sin? Well, not if you're wanting to repent of it. What it's saying here is these people are never going to repent. So if you are concerned about some sin that you have done, and you think, I've done this as a Christian, how could I have done this as a Christian? My question to you would be, are you repentant? Are you confessing that sin? Are you forsaking that sin to pursue Christ? And if you're saying yes, well, then clearly this passage is not talking about you because you are repentant. I think this passage is talking ultimately uh, to people who have actually become hardened towards Christ. Uh, They're holding him up to contempt. Uh, They've waffled so long that now they're walking away and they're hardened even in their thoughts towards Christ. And so they will never repent. They will never turn from their sin. And so I hope that comforts some of you that maybe are wondering, well, is it too late for me to be forgiven for some sin in my life? Not if you're repentant. The warning here is for those that will not repent. But maybe some of you You are waffling. You keep going back and forth on whether or not you should follow Christ or not. And you've tasted uh, some aspects of, of Christianity and of the truth. My exhortation to you would be, go all in on Christ. That is the exhortation of Hebrews. Consider Jesus. He is better than every other option. Hold fast to him and him alone. And don't look back anymore from today forward. And then you start to see that the point of this chapter is actually encouraging because we see the author of Hebrews here go on, starting in verse 9, to say, although I've used this intense language, I've I've spoken in this way, yet in your case, because we, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So the writer here is saying, I'm saying these things out of concern, but also as I'm thinking of you, I'm confident that that this is not talking about you. I'm confident of things that belong to salvation because I've seen your work and your love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints and how you still do. And we want you to show that same earnestness, verse 11, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He's saying, I'm encouraged by you guys, and I hope you're encouraged to have a full assurance of hope until the end, that you wouldn't be sluggish, but that you would have faith and patience because you believe God's promises. And that is the anchor for your faith. And that's what he goes on to describe. Uh, He talks about God's promise to Abraham, and he talks about how it is impossible for God to lie. And it says in verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, I think it's talking about his promise and his oath in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. 
We should look to Christ and trust he will not break his promise. And that's a reason why you don't need to waffle back and forth on the gospel. You can put your trust completely in Christ because in him and in his promises, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And I have found that many people that struggle with their assurance or they wonder if there was some sin that they committed that blew it all up and now their chance is over. Many times their focus is actually more on themselves and what they have or haven't done than it is on Christ. And Christ is meant to be the focal point of our faith. Ultimately, our hope in heaven is not dependent on our works. And that's where our our works do have a role to play in our assurance of showing that fruit of a changed life in Christ. But our hope ultimately rests on Christ and his promises. I, I couldn't help but think reading this of some of the lyrics of that great hymn before the throne of God above and how that fits so well with what we've been seeing in Hebrews. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Or the second verse, I love what it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Think of how many people, when, when they struggle with their assurance, it's really, I'm despairing because there's guilt within me. And that's where we start to fixate on that guilt. And I love the lyrics of the hymn. It doesn't say, I tell the devil he's wrong. There's no guilt here. No, I look upward and I see Christ. He's the one that has made an end to all of my sin. And so I hope this chapter ultimately directs your focus to Christ, the object of your hope, the, the one who has given us the promises that cannot, will not be broken. And I hope you, you look to him. And even if you're, you're waffling or you're unsure about following Christ or you're torn between Christ or the world or you're torn between Christ and trusting himself, look upward at him. Nothing compares to him. Consider Jesus. Put your trust and your faith completely in Him today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.